This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense. This is Hill Vaden, and I'm here as usual with Brian Doherty to discuss all things lying on the intersection of energy and finance. And we are recording today on Friday the 13th. Uh, and, and I think, Brian, the last time Friday the 13th hit in 2020, we were two days after a pandemic, global pandemic. So. Are you nervous at all heading into the weekend for, for this party, the 13th? I wasn't nervous. Now I'm a bit nervous, Hill, to be honest. I, Friday the 13th, I wake up and I think, oh, it's Friday. And it's always kind of one of those extra mysterious days. And, and you and it makes you think, it gives you pause at first thing in the morning. But I hadn't done the research about when the last time and um, that it was tied to news of the pandemic. So I'm a bit more worried than I was five minutes ago. Thanks, Hill. Yeah, 2020 has been uh, not the greatest year uh, in, in history for, for a handful of reasons, but apparently yeah. pandemic was declared on what, Wednesday the 11th of March, and so this is the first uh, Friday the 13th since then, so you know, at least COVID's not spiking again. <laughs> Sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody else hasn't seen Hill's face, but yes, um, hilarious Hill. <laughs> Um, what's interesting though, it, it was, and I know we've probably talked about everybody, I mean, everybody's talked about this, but the other day, somebody again, one of my friends brought up again about, do you remember that the Australia, Australia wildfires were the start of 2020? You know, that's what everybody thought. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and don't, I don't want to, you know, minimize that. That was obviously awful and, and hugely impactful, um, and a terrible situation, but it, you forget kind of. It's just been such a long year and all, all the yeah. things have been included in it. Well, I saw a black cat this morning as I was walking the dog. Fortunately, it did not cross my path. And, and I'm still superstitious because when I was like nine or ten or something, a black cat crossed my path and I lost my basketball later that day. You lost your so I, so I, will, I will walk around out of my way to avoid black paths still <laughs> because 30 years later. Baseball. Okay. <laughs> And then you've got construction going on your home. So then did you then walk under a ladder or? I have not done that yet. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> okay. so far, I guess where I'm tempting fate is I'm going camping uh, this weekend. And of course, you know, there, there's the whole camp story. It is a Camp Crystal Lake that, that Jason uh, was associated with. In Real yeah. Friday the I, think, I think that was the name. Um, have you told your kids that story? No, I haven't. And my wife is still gets scared. You know, in the Jason movies, there's a ch 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 Yeah. Yeah. If you still do that around her, she'll still get kind of freaked out. But you, yeah, because it's weird. Don't do that. <laughs> totally weird. Uh, well, speaking of weird. I, I would also get freaked out by that if somebody was randomly walking around my house. Uh, it, it's, it makes it fun. <laughs> Uh, so today we've got uh, Justin Jacobs back uh, with us uh, for our special Friday the 13th uh, episode to talk about Biden energy policy or, or the, the um, what, what the energy sector could look like under a Biden uh, leadership. Welcome back, Justin. Thanks for having me, guys. 
So I guess first, uh, just a, a little bit of esoteric, uh, Joe Biden, depending on, I, I'm not sure if Georgia's in it or not, but uh, the Steve Miller band song uh, went all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma, Philadelphia, Atlanta, LA. It, what is it? What's the song? Uh, Joker? Uh, no. Well, whatever it is, this may be the first time that a president has won all of those uh, Steve Miller song states uh, in a row. That, that was a little Twitter factoid that, that I picked up recently. So assuming that comes in, um, Biden potentially has a, you know, you know, the opportunity to, to change a lot of the, the energy, um, you know, I guess, views of the U.S. The, the, the first one seems to be the first focus from at least some of the headlines seems to be around the uh, um, pipelines. So, so what, what do you, you know, I think it was in the paper yesterday that the Dakota Access and uh, Keystone are, are, are most within the sites. Would you agree that that is a top priority for the Biden, uh, incoming Biden administration? Yeah, so on pipelines, I think clearly... That's going to be an issue that comes to the fore for the industry. You know, I think as we talked about before, it's not strictly a kind of partisan who's in the White House issue because we've seen over the last year, a couple of years, um, it's just become very, very difficult in the U.S. to build kind of these big cross-border pipelines. But yeah, uh, Dakota Access is still in the courts after there was a, a stay placed on the project by the courts earlier this year. And I think that project had a friend in the White House who was willing to kind of push forward up until January 20th. And um, of course, it was the Obama administration who kind of tried to stop that from happening. So I think if that is still in legal limbo going into next year, I think it's going to be, it could become very difficult for for that project to get back on, on track or get back up and running at a full level. And the other one, obviously, is Keystone XL, which is, I think, pretty clearly not going to happen with the Biden uh, administration, which has you know, some important knock-on effects up uh, into Canada and you know, right down to the Gulf Coast, where refiners have probably mostly given up on that ever happening. But uh, you know, at one point, it was going to be quite an uh, important pipeline for them. So when we think about kind of what, and I know there's still a little bit of Known, you know, kind of how how things will sit on the split in Senate and, and things to that effect. But what what really can Biden accomplish via in whatever fashion he might be able to accomplish things? Yeah. So the question over Congress and Senate is, yeah, really important. That will come down to two special elections coming up in Georgia. Um, so Georgia in the spotlight again. And there's this, uh, there are going to be these two special runoff elections in January, January 5th, I believe. And as it stands right now, the Republicans have 50 seats sewn up and uh, the Democrats have 48. So if the Democrats won both of those, they would have a 50-50 split with a vice president, Kamala Harris, uh, casting the kind of deciding ballots would be you know an effective majority for, for the Democrats, which would change a lot because then you'd have you know Chuck Schumer as the uh, majority Senate leader who would get to decide, you know, what bills get brought forward and a lot of that kind of stuff. So that's hugely important. So I think at, at this point, Georgia is historically a, you know, a red state. So, I, you know, I think it's more likely that the Republicans pull out at least one of those seats, if not both. But that's going to be hugely important. So what matters on the Senate side is, or having control of the Congress is, you know, taxing and spending, really. So Joe Biden has hugely ambitious 
climate plan that involves $2 trillion over four years of spending on you know, a lot of things like uh, rolling out electric vehicle, charging stations, you know, putting a lot of money into uh, research and development on, on the clean tech side, you know, just encouraging a lot of spending on wind and solar, you know, improving building efficiencies and things like that. So if the Democrats pull out a majority, I think you can see some momentum behind that. It'll be difficult because you still have, you know, you still need to win over, you know, the most conservative Democrats uh, to that package. So, you know, it's it's not a done deal at that point even, but, uh, you know, that's important. If it's a divided government, uh, which seems most likely at this point, then the focus for the Biden administration really shifts onto what they can do through regulatory action and executive orders um, and kind of executive policy and foreign policy as well, which is another area that, you know, it's going to be very important. What kind of things fall under that executive policy? Yeah, so executive policy, one of the, so for the oil and gas industry, one of the big issues is going to be whether Biden follows through on this pledge to ban drilling or fracking on federal lands that's kind of kind of something that's been that he's talked about uh, sometimes in some confusing ways because he's kind of at one point said he was going to ban fracking when he it came across as if he was talking about you know very generally banning fracking and that obviously got used against him from you know Donald Trump in the general election and kind of what he really meant is is going to ban fracking on federal lands which of course you know a people big who, difference. Yeah, which is a big difference for which people in the industry you know know very well but yeah, yeah, played out very differently differently in the campaign. And that uh, big difference being that banning fracking on federal lands is almost a non-issue because most of fracking is on privately held. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, privately held and state lands where the federal government has very little um, influence. And production from federal lands is, uh, you know, kind of low single digits for oil and kind of mm-hmm. mid-single digits for uh, for gas in terms of percentage of production. So it's very small. And the industry has kind of some options. One, they've been stockpiling permits for you know the last six, seven, eight months. Um, so they have a couple years really of runway where they have these you know permits in their pockets and they can keep drilling. And most of these companies also have options to drill on private land as well. So what you really see is the capital that might have gone to public lands really shifting onto private lands. Nevertheless, I mean, it's an important issue for certain companies in specific areas, especially the uh, New Mexico part of the Permian, which is you know a really big growth area, um, a kind of promising area for a lot of companies. So that is something that I think, you know, could be risk of really seeing activity and production slow down quite a bit there. But not until probably the mid-20s. Maybe. Yeah, but it's a couple of years down, down, the, down the line. And when you look at it from a kind of big picture impact on total U.S. production, it's, you know, it's not really that significant. Well, in the grand scheme of things, at least in the, in the immediate term, you know, the price of oil is you know, not banning fracking, but but certainly <laughs> limiting fracking. It has, yeah. The market, the market is banning fracking by itself, <laughs> uh, which we got pretty close to a couple of months ago when prices right. were, you know, turning negative. Yeah. <laughs> um, Although we don't think we see those prices coming again anytime soon, do we? No, that's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if you look at our, you know, our forecast going in, in a forty. 40 dollar world, you know, production kind of holds pretty flat here going over over the next year. Where does the offshore fit in? in the the offshore, Biden's been, has not talked about the offshore really explicitly. On the, If this federal lands kind of permitting issue extends to the offshore, which it, it very well may, it's even, the, the impact on production is even more drawn out um, because uh, companies have 
their leases and they're kind of legally kind of much more secure and they have permits and things like that locked up. So the kind of analysis that we've done shows that you don't really see an impact on production for another 10 years, uh, assuming basically no new permitting or leasing activity uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. It obviously affects, you know, exploration, drilling and things like that to a larger extent in the near term. But again, you know, the oil price and kind of the other issues that are going on in the industry around some of these big companies shifting their portfolios away from kind of long-term bets on, you know, frontier exploration, things like that is going to have an an impact as well and probably more of an impact than anything you're going to see from a Biden administration. So where, so executive, we talked about how executive orders can be used to discourage certain types of activity, could, could they be used similarly to encourage certain types of activity or or does that require more participation from Congress? Uh, yeah, no, that's a great point as well. So, you know, when you talk about permitting, it's also a huge issue for the renewables uh, mm-hmm. industry. You know, a lot of wind uh, and solar uh, capacity is built on federal lands. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, one of the things you hear from the oil and gas industry is that you know, permitting take a very long time. Uh, and a lot of these issues uh, are also faced by the renewables industry. So I think you'll actually see a push from the Biden administration around uh, kind of NEPA and some of the other bureaucratic rules to try to expedite um, the ability of wind and solar companies to be able to build much faster um, on on federal lands. And any sort of tax policy, though, that's going to require participation from Congress, right? And, and so does that maybe put... Uh, I guess executive orders on somewhat of a backseat. You know, there's been a lot of press. There's an editorial or an op-ed yesterday in the Washington Post, you know, endorsing executive orders. There's a counterpoint in the New York Times saying, you know, if he goes hard with the executive orders, he's going to lose those 48 to 50 Republicans that need to work with him on tax policy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a couple issues there. One big thing with the executive orders is obviously what we've seen. The Trump administration has relied on executive orders to a very large extent. Um, These can just be, you know, reversed. So President-elect Biden is going to come in in the first day and one of his first acts is going to be to issue a kind of like kind of mega executive order that just rolls back like hundreds of Trump administration (laughs) executive orders. So when you, when you, you know, in the U.S. system, when you try to kind of rule by executive fiat, uh, it's it can be very temporary because the next guy can come in and roll back a lot of that. Which and on the congressional, yeah, which exactly. Which, which as an observer, it's just foolish. I mean, I know compromise is hard, but everybody just keeps doing these executive orders and spending the first two years of in the incoming administration undoing what the other person did. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean. Yeah. Participants, the uncertainty of something that's been granted via executive order or rescinded via executive order is not helpful, I would think, from an investment purpose, because we all know that those investment time horizons are not four years. There, exactly. you know, and, and I mean, the uncertainty that creates in the market, I'm, I'm sure, is frustrating. Yeah. Definitely. So getting back to that question about what can happen on the congressional side, you know, even if you have a narrow Republican Democrat split, I think that you can get smaller, kind of more piecemeal uh, deals around kind of some of these important energy issues through, you know, budget bills and things like that that have to go through, uh, you know, regardless of how polarized things are. So, you know, a big one on the renewable side is the uh, wind and solar tax credits, um, which are hugely important uh, to the kind of outlook for. Uh, 
for growth for for those sectors. Um, and they've had you know bipartisan support in the past, and I think that probably continues because I think the you know the politics around it kind of work for both sides. So you know senators from Texas are not going to support a huge kind of climate bill that involves $2 trillion of spending, but I think they will go along with extending those wind and solar tax credits because, you know, Texas, I think, is the number one state for wind energy and it's, you know, top three or top five for solar energy. So there's, you know, those investments are important to the Texas economy. And uh, I think so I think you can do kind of smaller deals around those kind of kind of smaller piecemeal issues. And similarly for electric vehicles, I think there's some bipartisan support around electric vehicles. So if you allocate funding for building out some of the infrastructure around that. I think you can still see that happen, you know, even with the divided government. Well, it's interesting. We actually just had a conversation about EVs um, on, on another, on our previous podcast, and it's Texas, Hill, correct me if I'm wrong, Texas has the greatest EV growth. I think so. I think it was Texas and Cal- like California was what the, 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 the most EEVs in Texas is the fastest growing or something. Yeah. That sounds um, right, yeah. Which was which was interesting, right? And and the the argument there being if people want to buy it, they're, yeah. they're gonna build the infra- Texas is gonna build the infrastructure and create the subsidies to support that. Yeah, and on that point, I mean of course Tesla is building a mm-hmm. uh, gigafactory in in Austin. So uh, which I think is quite uh, quite a smart move from them in terms of kind of building broad yeah, political support around the future of electric vehicles. Yeah. So when we look also at, I mean, I, I guess one way to, to reach compromise with the Senate and House is job creation. Yeah. And it's easy to put people, I say easy, that, that somewhat easy, I suppose, to scale up oil and gas and jobs associated with oil and gas because it's been done before time and again. Will it be as easy to create jobs with uh, proactive, quote unquote, green energy legislation? And I guess as an extension of that, are there more jobs to create outside of energy? Um, And does energy maybe fall to the bottom if job creation is a motivator, domestic job creation? Yeah. So I think if we go back to this uh, wind and solar tax credit issue, so when we, you know, our analysis, when our kind of teams look at this, the difference between having that tax credit extended and not having that tax credit extended is like 40% growth uh, with it extended. So obviously, you know, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but that is, you know, a lot of jobs being created in that sector yeah. or not being created, depending on, you know, whether you pass that or extend that tax credit or not. So, yeah, I mean, the jobs issue is really at the center and you, you, you see that with the way Biden campaigned uh, on the issue. It was, you know, yes, about the climate, but it was the way he won over unions and things like that, or it was, you know, really framing it around job creation. So if you're spending a lot of money on building efficiencies and uh, some of the, even the kind of lesser talked about stuff, you know, those things do create a lot of jobs and they create jobs kind of more broadly, I think, than, than the oil and gas industry, which is uh, something where, why you can build kind of maybe counterintuitive political coalitions around some of these issues. So, yes, I think you're going to see a lot of that from the Biden administration is where these issues are you know, really framed around creating jobs. And what can you do with respect to appointments, right? How, how, how big of a factor will some of his announcements around who he's going to put in, in charge of different commissions or what have you, are there going to be big implications of that or is that something that kind of gets watered down? Yeah, so I think the, uh, the, import, the appointments are hugely hugely important. Um, 
it's something that maybe flies under the radar for people who you know don't live in DC like I do or kind of aren't, aren't plugged into uh, kind of what goes on behind the scenes. But you know, it's hugely important. And the Biden team released their their transition team uh, in the last week, and you know, without getting into too many details, I think one of the things you see is that they have people with climate and clean tech experience, clean energy experience, really across the bureaucracy. So you have people with that experience in the Treasury and you know the obvious ones like energy and the EPA, uh, the Interior, Department of Interior, pe- people at Treasury. So you're going to see, I think, a really kind of whole of government approach to um, climate and clean tech. Uh, and one of the ones that I think is uh, you know, really interesting and is important to listeners here is it's going to be a much bigger issue for the parts of the government that regulate the financial industry. So appointments to the SEC, uh, appointments to uh, some of the different financial regulators, I think are going to have you know, a real focus on uh, on climate um, and really pushing for disclosures around climate risks. I think appointments to the Fed uh, are going to have that bent as well. So the Fed is uh, talking about joining this kind of club of federal banks from around the world that are focused on some of these issues around reporting climate risk and how you think about climate risk within a kind of broader monetary policy fr- framework. And we haven't really heard any of that out of the U.S. over the last you know four years, um, but it's become a big issue around Europe. So I think you'll see a lot of a lot more alignment uh, around some of those issues: climate finance, you know, sustainable investments, uh, and ESG investing. You know, regulations and things like that between the U.S. and and Europe. I think that's such an interesting point because I, I think you're right that so many energy observers in general, you're always watching those energy things, right? So be it for or, you know whichever mm-hmm. whichever authority that you might be watching, and typically in, are watching the classic energy ones. But you're right, this transition to sort of incorporating climate initiatives via financing and and things like that. Um, allows allows these shifts to, to make a much more impactful difference than we than we probably even think of on the surface. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned FERC there, and FERC is yeah one that I skipped over, but hugely important. And we've seen over the last few months that they've talked about ways just through you know the regulatory process where you can encourage carbon pricing and you can encourage you know greater kind of competitive avenues for batteries and, and things like that in, in competitive markets that are really important to the industry. And FERC is still running two people shy. So, yeah. I mean, hopefully, I guess that's where we're going to run into issues potentially, right, though, that if, if you do have a slick government and the Senate drags its heels and trying to get, um, you know, the other two bodies put on FERC. Although my understanding, uh, I had this discussion last week, my understanding is that FERC is very much pretty pretty even keel that it's every you, know, you get one republican one democrat it, it's not yeah. as though you can really bias um the board uh, the commission in any way shape or form but still it's it's running too shy and it's been that way for a long time at this point so getting five bodies on it would be um a win i think in general yeah I, yeah i think the reason it's been shy is more of a trump administration issue we've seen this like across the government where they just they have a, an idea that the government and these things should be small and yeah. <laughs> and not particularly active. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you're going to see much different priorities out of the Biden administration. Yeah. So I think you'll see a quick push to uh, staff these places up and, yeah, give them more so push. So you know, look, looking ahead, you know, maybe, maybe a couple, I'll say years rather than a couple months, where might be 
some surprises, right? Like Obama, I think tide oil really surged uh, under Obama. You know, it continued to surge and maybe, you know, even surged, you know, more aggressively under Trump. But a lot of that was done under Obama, that the coal surged negatively, um, which I think was directly in, you know, the, the, the um, view of the Obama campaign. But tide oil was a bit of a surprise. Fracking, which led to tide oil, was a bit of a surprise. Any surprises that we should watch out for with Biden in regards to energy? Yeah, in terms of surprises, I think one kind of market-driven surprise, and Brian can probably talk about this you know, better than I can, but you might even see in Biden's first year a kind of mini coal uh, resurgence just because of what's going on. You know, if you have gas prices get up into you know well over three dollars, uh, all of a sudden some of the coal that has been switched off over the last couple of years kind of becomes competitive and it makes a comeback. And I mean, I think the structural kind of decline of coal is firmly in place. But in the short term here, you could have a kind of market-driven response on the on the coal side. You know, other surprises? I don't know. I, I think you're going to see Biden push climate uh, in the foreign policy and kind of uh, international arena, you know, quite a lot. And I think you could see climate come up in trade policy quite a bit. There's a big push in Europe to do these kind of carbon border adjustments kind of taxes. So I think you could see the U.S. try to join up with that in some some interesting ways. Again, some of that will come down to who controls Congress, because you do need uh, congressional support for to approve those kind of uh, trade deals. What about with China? So I think China is part of some of the trade posturing from the Obama, or I'm sorry, the, the Trump administration. China has to buy some large amount of natural gas uh, or energy in general. Does that go away? Does it, I think they're I guess a little bit behind on the buying right now. Does that accelerate or just completely removed from the table? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, right now they're on the energy, especially they're way, way, way behind from from the commitments. It's like a fraction of of what they committed to. And part of that is like a, it, the targets were set in dollar terms, and obviously like the oh, gas yeah. prices have like crashed and everything. So like, yeah, so you, like the actual. Yeah quantity that they would have to buy at today's prices compared to like when that deal was struck is like geez hindsight's 20 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's massive <laughs> um but i think that the biden administration does not feel uh any kind of uh need to abide by the terms of that deal i mean i think they'll, they'll kind of try to strike their own agreements um and i think they'll orient that much more around climate issues so I think they'll push, rather than bilateral trade issues, I think they'll push really hard on this Belt and Road Initiative that China has where, and a big part of that is building kind of coal plants and things like that around Southeast Asia uh, and uh, Central Asia. And I think you'll see the Biden administration push really hard and say, look, you have this net zero target. You've said all these great things about, you know, everybody should be part of the Paris Accord. And so I think they'll push very hard on kind of greening this the Belt and Road Initiative. So I think that's one way that a Biden administration can really change kind of the international balance uh, on, on some of these issues. And I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> That's where I like to be. You know, I, I'm always asking for forgiveness on these types of things. Um, okay, so if you think of Biden's first 30 days, or you know, let's just say first 60 days, because 30 days, there's a big party, I'm sure, after the first day, so you can give him a little bit of time. First 60 days, what do you think? he's he's gonna do first is i guess the big question or like needs to do first in order to establish 
what he and Kamala are going to be about for the next four years. It doesn't have to be energy. Well, I think uh, I think this actually is an energy one, and I think the big one on day one is going to be rejoining the the Paris agreements, um, and I think he'll set that in a context of climate change and clean energy being, you know, a big part of his foreign policy and a big pillar of his foreign policy. Um, so he'll kind of set it around, we're rejoining the Paris Agreement. This is the U.S. kind of rejoining the the multilateral international framework that the U.S. helped build, but kind of pulled back from for the last four years. And this is us kind of re-engaging with our traditional allies uh, and doing you know, all of that stuff that, you know, I think Biden himself believes in quite a lot. And he's going to push for countries to be much more ambitious on their own ambitions and commitments to, to reducing carbon emissions. And I think he'll talk about his own plans for getting to uh, zero emissions by 2035 uh, and kind of net zero by 2050. And I think he'll kind of start talking about pushing much, much harder on that uh, front. So I think we're entering into a period where, uh, uh, you know, I think climate and energy broadly in the Biden administration is going to be a really big issue. Excellent. Well, I mean, I think we can probably say that up until um, even between now and when that might happen, there's going to be plenty in the news with respect to the recent election results. Um, we won't, this, this is not the forum to delve more into those issues. I'll leave that for somebody else. But um, yeah, news to say, there's there's a lot happening, not only in a few weeks, but likely over the next four years on that. And thank you so much, Justin, for, for joining us again on, on this IHS Market Podcast. It's always nice to have one of our own from the FCMT join us. FCMT part of me join us. So we really, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you. We hope our listeners join us for our next one. We wish you well, Justin. Thank you. Bye. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.